Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Good morning, everyone. Um, I, I'd like to invite the kiddos in the service today, if you're in sixth grade or younger, if you'd like to join me up front on the stairs, just come up and have a seat. Good morning, good morning. Anybody else? Okay, we have some more. Um, well, I'm Emily Hooks. I am the director of children's ministry. I oversee our elementary children's ministry here. Um, like Melissa said, it's fifth Sunday, so we are in service today. So you guys get a little mini sermon on top of the main sermon. So yay. Good morning, guys. Okay, so this morning we are going to, and you'll hear Pastor Brandon say this word a lot this morning, wisdom. So think about that word, wisdom. I have a funny little joke about wisdom. We'll see if you guys think this is funny, okay? So being smart is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Did you guys know that? Yeah. Okay, but being wise is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Is that funny? They think it's funny. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> Anyways, do you know someone that is wise? So think about that for a second. Who do you think is wise? Maybe you've heard somebody say that a parent is wise or that a grandparent is wise or that a teacher is wise. I want you to think about what makes them wise, okay? So while you're doing that, do you know of an animal that is known for being wise? There's an animal that a lot of people say is a wise animal. Do you know? No, it's not a tiger. I brought one, not a real one. It's an owl. Has anyone ever heard the saying like a wise old owl? Yeah. Okay, so I'll let you guys take a look at this if you could pass it around so everybody could see it. Okay, so an owl is known for being wise. So I have a little story about a wise old owl. Okay, are you ready? Once upon a time, a group of owls came to settle in a forest. The forest had many beautiful lush green trees. All the owls in the group were free to choose whichever tree they wanted. So all the young owls took all of the green, beautiful, luscious trees. And there was one very old owl amongst them. And he was forced to build his nest in an old, dried-up tree. Probably wasn't even alive anymore. So... At the time, the younger owls became very proud of their beautiful homes, and they would make fun of the old owl for his old tree. They would say, hey, old man, couldn't you find a better tree for your nest? The younger owls would tease, we are the lucky ones. Our home is beautiful, and yours is not. He would just smile and say, it is too early to tell which one of us is lucky. The young owls didn't understand what he meant. So a little bit later, a group of woodcutters came to the forest. Woodcutters, uh-oh, what does that mean? They said, look at all these beautiful trees. We should chop them down and take them back with us. They will make us a lot of good money. And so they took their saws and their big trucks and they cut down all the beautiful trees. They chopped and chopped until there was only one tree left. Which one do you think it was? The old tree. That's right. 
They said, this tree is too old. It would be a waste to take it back. And with that, the woodcutters left that one there. No matter how much the young owls screeched and, and cried, the woodcutters had still taken away their homes, but not the old owls, right? The old owl smiled to the young ones. He said, sometimes a curse is a blessing in disguise. Only after losing their homes did the young owls realize their mistake. So that's the story of a wise owl. So you guys going to remember that? <laughs> okay. These are just silly stories, though. Do you guys know where true wisdom comes from? Anybody know? It's not just for, from owls, right? <laughs> okay. Now, hopefully I don't get booed out of the room when I say this, but wisdom is not just for old people. Okay? <laughs> or just, it's not just for owls. Wisdom is for anyone, no matter how old you are. Wisdom is knowing what is right and doing what is right. You are wise when you know the rules at school and choose to follow them. You are wise when you read the Bible and do what it says. Wisdom is for everyone. When we choose to obey God's word, we are wise. And we are happy and we are safe. But if we choose not to obey it, we will make bad choices that could lead to painful consequences. So make sure you get really good at seeking wisdom now, because you can do it at this age that you are now. Um, when I think about wisdom in the Bible, I think about King Solomon. Does anyone know King Solomon? Now, King Solomon could have asked God for anything. What did he ask God for? What did he ask God for? He asked for wisdom. You're exactly right. Um, I also think about these scriptures, and let me tell them to you, okay? Proverbs 16, 16, it is much better to get wisdom than to get gold. Wow. James 1, 5, if anyone needs wisdom, you should ask who? God, and he will give it to you. And then the scripture Pastor Brandon's going to talk about today, not, uh, Proverbs 9, 10 through 12. If you want to become wise, you must begin by respecting the Lord, to know the Holy One is to gain understanding. Through wisdom, you will live a long time. Years will be added to your life. If you are wise, wisdom, your wisdom will reward you. If you make fun of others, though, you will suffer. Truly having wisdom and following God is the way I want to live. I hope you do, too. Think back to that person that I asked you to think about at the beginning, somebody that's really wise. The person I was thinking about is someone that follows God and uses God's word, the Bible, to gain their wisdom. So think about how you can gain wisdom from God. What can we do? We can read the Bible. That's exactly right. And we can surround ourselves with other wise people who do the same thing. You see, um, there are other scriptures in the Bible about wisdom. Now, if you got a packet when you came in this morning, paper in there um, that has different scriptures about wisdom for you to look up. If you guys do that during the service today, I have prizes for you. I'll be standing at the orange door after the service. So if you work on that during the service today and show it to me, I have a prize for you. Okay. So look up your wisdom scriptures. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have your word to give us wisdom, that we have your son Jesus to see what living with wisdom looks like. Thank you for the opportunities you give us to gain true wisdom. 
I pray that we can all choose to love and respect you, God, and to live the way you want us to. Help us to remember that wisdom comes from knowing you better. Guide us as we take the steps we need in order to do that. Surround us with others that we can learn from and that can teach us about you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. It's been a long week, hasn't it? It's awesome to see the kids up here. It's awesome to see their faces. In light of what's happened this week, it's also surreal, isn't it? A small town in Texas experienced one of the most horrifying incidents. We haven't experienced that quite like this since 2012 with the Sandy Hook shootings. I was debating on how to approach the subject matter this morning before I get into the sermon, but I think it needs to be discussed really quickly. The reality is, talking about wisdom, we don't see much of it in society these days. Because true wisdom is rooted in Christ, in Christ alone. So what do we do with what we're experiencing? Well, we can be reactive or we can be proactive. And what we're seeing on the news, reading in the papers, is very reactive things. Somebody's got to be the enemy. And so it's the nasty GOP, or it's the horrible Democrat Party, or it's the gun, or the shooter, or any number of things. You're probably wondering where I'm going with this this morning. I am not going to be political. I want to be biblical about this. Because the Bible speaks into these situations. What is the problem with society, with our culture? Say it again. Sin. What is the solution to the problem of sin and death? Jesus. Now we think that's such a cheesy answer because it's every Sunday school answer, right? Jesus is the answer to everything. But isn't he? We can kind of fluff that off and say, but we got to get down to brass tacks. It's got to be, we got to legislate and we got to do and do and do. We can legislate ourselves into oblivion and we're still not going to fix the problem. Church, hear me very clearly this morning. We have eternal laws given by God. The only way to fix a society that's fallen and broken is by putting God back into the center of its society or putting God into the center where he's never been before in a society. The abortion issue, the guns issue, the school shootings, these, these horrible things that are happening in society are symptoms. They are not the problem. They're symptoms of a deeper issue. They're symptoms of a deeper issue that the church has a solution for, that the church has the answer to. And the church should be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves, Jesus says in the Gospels. But instead, we become like hermits 
cocooning ourselves off from society because it's an evil, horrible society. When Jesus came onto the scene, do you think it was much different in his day? Getting some feedback. Do you think it was any different in Jesus' day? Actually, in many cases, it was the same or worse. We think we're living in an anomalous society where we are experiencing what nobody has ever experienced before. They burned their babies on altars back in Jesus' day and even before that. There was homosexuality and gender uh, confusion in the days of Jesus and before. Read about some of the Roman emperors, Caligula, Nero, some pretty whacked out crazy dudes. We think we're experiencing something new? The problem is God's people must stand for what's true, must stand for holiness and righteousness. Ephesians 6 must put on the whole armor of God, and that armor is a defense mechanism to protect us from the onslaught of the enemy, because here's what's happening with the church today. Can I be honest with you? Actually, I'm not not honest with you, so I'm going to be just as honest as I always am, but maybe a little bit more so. The church has left its battle armament at home. We aren't wearing the armor of God, because we aren't even in the battle these days. Or if we are in the battle, we've left the armor at home and we're fighting the wrong battles. Church, it's not left or right politics. It's Christ-centered living that we are called to. We will not die for our politics, but we will die for our beliefs. And if our beliefs are rooted in Christ, then we know the victory's won. It's time for us to stand to be light and salt again. If not for ourselves, then for the little ones that sat across this stage today. Because what kind of a future do they have in this society that seems to be really off the rails if the church isn't being the church? I worry about my four kids and where they're going to be launching into. It's, it's, it's a nightmare scenario, but I'm not, not going to be a parent to my children pointing them in the direction of Christ, who is the solution and the answer to the problems that ail this world. Be careful what battles you're fighting. Be careful what hills you're willing to die on, because not every hill is a battle worth dying on. Until the church gets back to the fundamentals of Christ and living out his teachings in our lives, nothing's going to change. Doesn't mean that God has lost the battle. It just means nothing's going to change. Oh, their successes across the globe in some of the most persecuted places on earth where it's illegal to even say the name of Jesus, to own a Bible, or to have any portion of Scripture on your person, you could be thrown into prison. That's where Christianity and faith is thriving. Do you think they're having debates on guns or abortion in places where you can't even speak the name of Jesus? 
No, because they know what the reality is. The reality is it's all about Christ and not about these other issues. Because these other, if, if, if people could get back to Christ, what do you think would happen to these other issues? If the church started actually being the church in society, being light and salt and drawing people to Christ again, what do you think would happen to these issues in society? Abortion rates would fall off. The mass shootings would go away. The one factor that has changed in our culture is that we've taken God out of everything and then we blame God for everything. If God is really real, then why doesn't he step in and intervene? Because we've kicked him out and like a gentleman, he says, fine, if that's what you want, I'll withdraw from this. But understand, when I withdraw from an area in your society, my protection is also withdrawn. Not because I want it, but because you want that. Well, then we need to get prayer back in the schools. We need to get scripture. No, we need to get God back in our churches. Because judgment first comes to the house of God before it goes to the rest of society. What we are experiencing in our culture is God's judgment on the church. And you can see we're not doing a great job. How many pastors are so-called falling from grace how many churches are compromising the truth of the word of God in order to try to reach the masses? But when you compromise the truth, all you do is invite in the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy and makes the truth of God's word invalid. Because if you can compromise any portion of it, then you might as well compromise the whole thing, and that's what we're doing. What is wisdom? The kids talked about that this morning. What is wisdom? You'll find out today that the true root of wisdom is the fear of God. Not the fear of society, not the fear of other people next door, not the fear of the politicians, not the fear of Vladimir Putin or uh, President Xi in China. Do you know what the fear, the holy true wisdom, holy true wisdom is the fear of God and God alone. We're going to unpack that today. I think we've lost that fear. I think we've cast aside that ideology of fear toward God, not toward God, of God, and we've adopted a fear of the culture and of society. Omar Bradley, one of the generals in World War II, went to World War I, and he remembered it as a young man. He served in the army in the U.S. and became a general. He actually led one of the largest armies in history during World War II. He spoke at an armistice day in Boston, Massachusetts, in 1948. And listen to what he said. You tell me if these don't ring true today as much as they did in 1948, if not more so today than they did in 1948. As he's speaking, as the keynote speaker of that day, listen to what he writes. With the monstrous weapons man already has, and remember just a few years earlier, the atomic bomb became a reality in World War II. With the monstrous weapons man already has, humanity is in danger of being trapped in this world by its moral adolescence. Our knowledge of science has clearly outstripped our capacity to control it. We have men of science, too few men of God. We have grasped the mystery 
of the Adam and yet rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Man is stumbling blindly through a spiritual darkness while toying with the secrets of life and death. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we do about peace, more about killing than we know about living. Wisdom isn't the appearance of strength. It's the evidence of humility, truth, and common sense and the ability to use them for good. So the book of Proverbs today. Chapter 9, we're going to look at Actually, I added to that all the way to verse 18. I want you to listen to what the writer of Proverbs says. It's a difference between lady wisdom and lady folly. And no, this is not a sexist chapter in the Bible. Okay? Wisdom has built her house. She has carved its seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet, a mixed uh, mix the wines and set the table. Carved it seven columns. Now, there's some religious symbolism here. Seven usually is the number of completion. But if you lived in a seven-column home in that day, it would have been huge. Okay? Seven-column houses would have been considered mansions in those days. To understand the building codes and all of that jazz in those days, you have to understand seven columns. But it also is a number of completeness. So it's a number of, it would be this ideology or this idea of the complete essence of wisdom's home. If you go there, you have this sense of complete understanding. And there's plenty of room for all to dwell there. She's prepared a great banquet, mixed the wine, set the table. She has sent her servants to invite everyone to come in. Who? Everyone, not just a select few, not just the, the aristocracy of a society, not just the poor, but everyone, right? It's an open invitation to all. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. So we see that she's at this high point in the city. She has a vantage point to see all things, to know all things, and to understand all things. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come and eat my food and drink the wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. You see what she's saying? What does the word simple mean? When we call somebody simple-minded, it's usually a dig at them. But in reality, what she's talking about here is not so much a dig at somebody or an underhanded kind of way of accusing somebody of something, but saying, listen, this, this idea of naivety and gullibility is not something I want you to be about. You need to be learned and understanding. You need to have true wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So why don't you come and learn from me? We'll unpack that in just a moment. Verse 7, anyone who rebukes a mocker, or in some cases called a scoffer, will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise, and they will love you. Have you ever done that before? 
Have you ever tried to point out something to somebody that they may not see in themselves, and it's a point of constructive criticism? You're not just coming at them with guns blazing to knock them down at the knees, but you're saying, listen, something's not right. What's up with you? And I see this behavior, and it's unhealthy. If you come to a scoffer or a mocker, and what are they going to do? Usually they'll cut you off, they'll stiff arm you, they may mock you in return like, who are you holier than now? You're, no perfect, you're not a perfect person either, right? So it's, a, it's, it's what we call a deflection mechanism. Scoffers and mockers deflect. Have you ever deflected? Right? When you've been called out, you know what you've done was wrong, but you don't want to hear it from somebody else. Have you ever scoffed and mocked and deflected? Of course, we all have. But the wise person welcomes it. They don't welcome ridicule, but they welcome constructive criticism. They welcome people speaking into their lives because it gives them an opportunity to learn more and to become better. The wise person realizes that. Verse 9, instruct the wise and they will be wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Think about what I started this message out with this morning. Where do you see fear of the Lord in our society? What do we talk about fear of the Lord? It's reverence for God, standing in awe and wonder of the Almighty. When we hand ourselves over to any sinful behavior, we are snubbing our nose at the fear of God. We're basically saying, God will forgive me. You know, if God even exists, isn't he a God of love and forgiveness? It's all right, I'm, I'm fine. I'll just continue to live and do what I want to, wherever I want to, with whomever I want to, and it'll be okay. That is not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is saying, Lord, I want to please you. I stand in awe of you. I don't want to stumble or fall in your ways. Teach me the ways of everlasting so I can walk in that righteous path. And you heed the tough instructions at times. This is why in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that the way to him is narrow, but the way to destruction is wide. The gate's narrow to the way to him, the kingdom of heaven, but the gate is wide to those. And, and not many people take that narrow road. Well, then why does God make it so difficult, Brandon? God doesn't make it difficult. He just knows the ways of the world are so appealing. And the way to him requires difficult discipline because the ways of the world have such a draw. Sin rules this world. And the only way to break the sin of the world in your own life is to receive the one who broke sin and death on the cross. Am I, are you with me? I know it's Memorial Day weekend. You're probably thinking about potluck dinners or something after this. Are you with me here this morning? All right. Those of you online or on TV, you watch? Okay, good. All right. Um, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, however, you will be the one to suffer. And then 
the writer shifts to Lady Folly. I read some commentators today, and I'm going to use this word we don't use in our home, or we shouldn't be using it in our specific home. It, uh, one of our commentators said it was Lady Stupid, or Miss Stupid. So uh, that's how he uh, interprets this. But the woman named Folly is brash. She's ignorant and doesn't know it. Have you, have you ever been ignorant and not known it? That's a problem, right? Ignorance is not bliss. The honest truth. The woman named Folly is brass. She's ignorant and doesn't know it. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. So we have Lady Wisdom on the heights overlooking the city and Lady Folly on the heights overlooking the city. They are in competition. Which one will we succumb to? She calls out to men going by. Who did Lady Wisdom call out to? Everyone. Who does Lady Folly call out to? Men. Oh, so this is a sexist sermon. I see how it is. Misogynistic, you know, all that jazz. No, 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 no. You gotta un unpack, let's unpack this. Why does she call to men? She calls to men who are minding their own business, it says. Come in with me, she urges the simple, to those who lack good judgment. She says, stolen water is refreshing. Oh, so whatever you can get underhandedly is okay. Enjoy it. Take whatever you can get and take whatever isn't available to you. It's okay. It's refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes best. Again, what does sin and death try to have us do? It pulls us into the secret places, behind closed doors and into the darkness. Stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes best. But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. Do you see what she's do you see what the writer's saying? Wisdom leads to life. Folly and ignorance leads to death. Spiritually, physically, in the long run. And here's the key point. The wise person has the benefit of good judgment. The wise person has the benefit of good judgment. We are lacking good judgment these days. We are lacking common sense because we have been overtaken by what's called a postmodernist ideology, which is Everything is relative. Truth is relative. Life is relative. Everything is relative. When everything is relative, do you know what that means? It means whatever you think about something is right for you, whatever I think about something is right for me, and nobody is wrong, but everybody's right. That is, except those who are believers in Christ and God. We are the demonic ones to the society. We are the haters, the homophobes, the Islamophobes, the misogynistic people, you put any other label behind our name because those who stand for the truth of God's word and that seek to find all morals and ethics rooted in him, we're the ones that are the haters. Lady Folly points her finger at Lady Wisdom and says, you guys are idiots. You guys are the ones that are wrong." 
But Lady Wisdom, who has wisdom rooted in the fear of God, doesn't point back at Lady Folly cursing her because she knows she's already cursed. Lady Wisdom rather beckons all others to come and eat at her table. So wisdom is an invitation to good judgment. In a rather lengthy quote, David Atkinson explains various persons mentioned in this passage. The simple, the fool, and the scoffer, or the mocker. Listen to what he says. The simple, in Proverbs, are people who just don't think. Right? I'll be honest with you. I enjoy not thinking sometimes. Don't you? How many of you have minds that constantly are on the go? And you wake up in the middle of the night, and boom, boom, there it is, right? <clears throat> and you were just inundated with thought after thought after thought after thought. And sometimes you just don't want to think. But it's not about the issue of thinking. It's about the issue of thinking on the right things. We have so many thoughts that consume our minds. This is why in the New Testament we are told to take every thought captive. Right? But the simple-minded just don't think at all. Okay? Have you seen, uh, there was a cartoon from Looney Tunes when I was a kid, and it was the, was it the vulture or the buzzard? And he had the little, you know, you remember him? Uh, Kids, those of you probably have no clue who are under my age, what I'm talking about. Have your parents find that one, I can't remember his name, it's the vulture or the, the whatever. Well, he was just like this, and he was, that's how he was. Talk about simple-minded. When he was not doing anything, he'd be staring off into space, literally with blank thoughts. The simple, when I think of this passage, are a lot like that. It's kind of what I go to when I think of the simple, and that's kind of what he's talking about here. He goes on to describe such a person is easily led, gullible, and silly. Because they don't think, they don't have a thought of their own, so whatever the best argument is, they're like, yep, that's it. Okie dokie, Smokey. Right? Ment- uh, mentally, this person is naive. The simple believes everything, but the prudent looks to where he is going. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. Morally, they are willful and irresponsible. The waywardness of the simple shall slay them, Proverbs 1.32. Chapter 7 of Proverbs shows that the simple, uh, the simple most clearly, a young man without sense is what they call the simple-minded in that chapter. It's, he's easily enticed down the road to temptation. The simple-minded will give in to any fancy that they deem okay because they're not even thinking through the consequences of their decisions. He's a person who, whose instability could be rectified, but who prefers not to accept discipline in the school of wisdom. This isn't about just reading. Some of you hate to read. I get it. But readers truly do become leaders. You can't lead from a place that you don't know. What are, where are you gaining wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? I am... 23 years ago when I started out in ministry as a pastor, I saw it two decades ago. I'm not just talking about biblical illiteracy in the culture, but it's biblical illiteracy within the church. We prefer as a church in our culture to remain simple-minded about things of God. 
Pastor, you tell us what we should think. What we, no, again, I'm going to say this again. Ten years I've been in this pulpit. Don't just believe it because I say it. You be a student of the word. And then let's get together as iron sharpens iron and sharpen one another. If you're sitting here expecting the spoon-fed message, but you're not willing to put any skin in the game for your own salvation, there's a problem. This is why so many people get duped by pastors who lead them astray into false teaching and doctrine and say, okay, yeah, I guess that's the new way to think. How do you know what's right from wrong if you don't have a basis of right and wrong? The simple-minded don't have a basis for right and wrong, and they are tossed about like a ship on the ocean by the waves. They are carried about by the winds of popular opinion. The fool, what about the fool? The fool is rather more obstinate and stubborn than the simple-minded person. There are three different Hebrew words in Proverbs that translate fool, but their meanings overlap. Uh, of the most common word that the fool, uh, uh, excuse me, Kidner says of the most common word that the fool has no idea of a patient search for wisdom. He has not the concentration for it, but imagines it can be handed out to him over the counter. Again, this is a lot of our churches today. What are you going to give me, pastor? Are you going to give me what I want, when I want it, how I want it? Do you have the programs at your church that are going to make me happy in my whole family? These are hard words, trust me. When I, when I process and read through this stuff and actually come to a clearer understanding of these passages myself, they're difficult. Because sometimes, oftentimes, they step on my own toes. The fool isn't like the, they're similar to the simple-minded, but the fool is like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Whereas the simple-minded are just, yeah, whatever. The fool says, give me what I want when I want it. And don't fill it full of nonsense or what I would consider non. Don't fill it full of all of this other stuff. I just, they're, they're the pragmatists, right? Just give me what I want and how I want it. Don't give me what I need. The root of uh, the fool's trouble is spiritual. It's not mental. The bottom line is he does not choose to fear the Lord. He is a social menace and a source of sorrow to his parents, the Proverbs state. Of the other Hebrew words translated fool, one adds a darker tone and emphasizes his moral insolence. The other adds an extra weight of boorishness. The idea behind the fool is that they only want what will make them happy. They don't want what will make them better. And the third character is a scoffer who demonstrates that it is a mental attitude, not a mental capacity that matters. Do you hear what I'm saying? He shares with his fellows their strong dislike of correction. You can read about that all the way throughout the book of Proverbs. And it is this, not any lack of intelligence that blocks any move he makes toward wisdom. Stephen Lennox goes further to explain that in her summons of the simple and those who lack judgment, we are reminded that God calls to those 
Uh, God, we are reminded that God calls to those who deserve it least but need it most. Do you catch that? God calls those who need it, or who, who um, let me read that again. God calls to those who deserve it least but need it the most. Her invitation to eat and drink suggests the blessings inherent in obedience to God and the spiritual food which is offered to us in Christ Jesus today. So what about good judgment? Good judgment is defined as this, the quality of being wise or making good decisions. And the only way to make wise and good decisions is by following God's ways. I was talking to one of our board members this morning, and uh, we were talking about what's going on in society, the Uvalde shootings at the Robb Elementary School. And, and again, uh, the reality is the scoffer, the fool, and the simple-minded will point to any number of factors, but rather than a fear of God as being the problem. We as a nation do not fear God. He is not the driving factor behind the decisions we make. And you're like, Brandon, but we are a pluralist society. We have freedom of religion. Everybody can do what they want. No, we don't. If you look at our founding documents, we the people of the United States of America, in order to form a more perfect union, establish tranquility, right? But you go to the Declaration of Independence, what is it? We are endowed by who? Did you know in that document they put a capital C and not a lowercase c? Do you know why they do that? Because they were God-fearing people. No, they were deists, Brandon. I, I dare you to read some of the documents of our founders who were called by our secular culture as deists. And you tell me if they are deists in their writings. We are endowed by our creator, capital C. They were pointing to God through the Judeo-Christian ethic and principle and they were showing us that our society founded on these principles is only good for society who surrenders to God and has a holy fear of God. And what you're seeing and being evidenced today in our culture is a society that is quickly devoid of God and pointing to their own fancies, whims, and whimsies. We are the fool in the narrative, the scoffer and the simple-minded in the narrative. Why is that? Because we want what we want, how we want it, when we want it, and we don't want to tell other people how to do something or point them to the right way because that's really just our opinion, right? Truth is not an opinion. Truth is truth, no matter what label you want to put on it. And we are people of the way, the truth, and the life. And if we truly believe that Jesus is the only way, then we're going to be living like that. And we're going to be giving the clarion call like wisdom, Lady Wisdom did on the mountaintops. Come, come to the table and eat. It's welcome to everyone, no matter what background, no matter what lifestyle you're in right now. Come to him. Come to the table. And we're not going to stiff arm anybody, but when you come to the table, understand you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the conforming of your heart to his. That's what's important. Good judgment is a means of proper correction and instruction. 
Biblical scholar and author Sid Boozel writes, when corrected, a wicked person hurls back a rebuke by defaming his would-be counselor. Such a mocker is hardened in his ways. On the other hand, a wise person appreciates rebuke because they learn from it. Rebukes can be helpful to the one who's willing to learn from them. By being teachable, hear me, listen to this, by being teachable, one becomes wiser. As elsewhere in Proverbs, a wise person is righteous. Godly character should underline one's mental sagacity. Do you know when we come upon a time where we're looking to hire a new staff member at North Main, one of the core fundamentals, other than just spiritual, how are they, are they spiritually mature, are they biblical in the way they live their life, those kind of things, teachability is the one requirement. Have we always gotten it right with every hire? No. But if you are not teachable, you can be very destructive. If you lead an organization, a nonprofit, or a business, you know that the people that are the most troublesome on your team are the ones that think they have it all figured out and they can't be taught anything more. Same way at the church with volunteers or anybody else. I have been, in, again, been in ministry long enough to see people who know more than me, which is great, and I, I, yes, there are people that know way more than I do. But the people that know more than me or think they know more and they come up against you and they show themselves to actually be a fool. I have had people say, Brandon, why didn't you confront them? What you know that there's just certain times where it's not even worth going into argument or debate. Not that I think they're a hopeless cause or case, but the reality is, are they gonna be open to what I have to say? Maybe the same in your situation. You have know-it-alls in your life? Anybody have a know-it-all in you? How many of you who are parents have kids? Oh, that's mean, isn't it? No, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Um, the reality is we all have people in our lives that do that. Who are actually just playing the part of a fool. Or a simple-minded person or a scoffer. The reality is the, simple, or the, the wise person is humble, but they oftentimes don't realize they're humble. Right? Those that try the hardest to be humble are the ones that are most prideful. The key to humility is full surrender to Christ Jesus, realizing that I am not God, I don't know everything, I can't solve every problem, but I know somebody who can. And it's in him I'm putting all of my stock into. I'm not going to diversify that portfolio. Everything I have, I'm betting on him. Because I know the rate of return is beyond my wildest imagination. Lastly, both wisdom and good judgment are founded in the fear of the Lord. I want to unpack that just a smidge more before we close today. The book of Proverbs starts out with a foundational statement that will be repeated often throughout the rest of the book, and actually rest of the Bible, quite frankly. But Proverbs 1, verse 7, I remember, you may have heard me tell you this, but when I was probably 13, 14 years old, growing up in central Kentucky at my home church in Danville, which 
my mom's there right now, and she'll be watching this later, and she's like, I was there this morning. Anywho, we will, I grew up there, and we, we would have traveling evangelists, Church of God evangelists come through town, and they would preach revivals for a week, sometimes two. And there was one guy that came through town, and he, it was his MO, and I didn't realize this, to pick youth from the congregation to memorize scripture at the beginning of their time there at the church. And he wanted you to memorize it quick, because remember, they're only there for a week. And he gave me seven or eight scripture. I can't remember exactly how many, but verses to memorize. And, of course, I'm this punky little kid, teenager, and I would sit in the back row. That's where our youth sat. Where I, when I, and we, we, we didn't have phones. So our method of texting was a piece of paper and the, the pew pencils. Right? Yeah, we'd pass notes. And the pastor would call us out from stage, because we lived in a small town, and they'd say, Brandon, are you listening? <laughs> no. You're right, that's how it would work. But what, this time, he'd give me scriptures, and of course I'm back there doing my thing as a youth, texting, <laughs> and passing my notes, and he says, Brandon, Proverbs 1-7. I peed my pants. We had these nice burnt orange pews and burnt orange carpet. You couldn't really tell. But I'm reading. I'm like, oh, crap, what's he want? Proverbs 1-7. And, of course, as any good student does, they stand up. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise, not, but fools despise knowledge and instruction. It's the only verse of the seven or eight that I memorized. Thank goodness he called it. But I'm like, but it was a shot across the bow. It's like, okay, I've got to memorize the rest in case he calls on me this week. Do you see what Proverbs is saying? I had the fear of a man on the stage, but the truth of the matter is I should have had the fear of the Lord. And I should have hidden his word in my heart regardless. Why? Because of my fear of him, but because I wouldn't want to sin against him. I love and respect God so much that I don't want to step across that boundary of temptation and into action and do something that would jeopardize my relationship with him. Just as I wouldn't want to do something foolish by going out and cheating on my wife and jeopardizing the relationship with her. I have a holy reverence and fear of my marriage to my wife that I wouldn't do something that would jeopardize that relationship. This is that holy reverence and fear that we are to have of God. Not one of these instances. Ah! Right? We are not to fear God like this. We are to fear God like this, with an open embrace, just like we do the ones we love the most on this earth. We would fear doing something that would jeopardize that. That's what the fear of, the God, fear of God is. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. There's no way around this concept. Wisdom doesn't come from reading more books, sitting under the tutelage of great teachers, or even from life experience. Wisdom, first and foremost, true wisdom has to be rooted in the fear of God. Now, don't think that I'm discounting reading or learning or studying, not at all. But if you're reading, learning, and studying without a foundational root in the fear of God, then you're just gaining information. Remember, one of our professors in seminary would say, I know you guys are taking so many different classes right now, and you're required to go to chapels and you're, you're, you're required to be involved at the local church and you are on information overload. 
But the professor would say, I want you to read for transformation, not just information. Transformation, not just information. How many of you cram and stuff who have gone to school for, for uh, whatever reason or purpose to pass a class or a test? See, in God's economy and in God's kingdom, we aren't cramming for a final. We want to be transformed, not just by the renewing of our minds, but all of our life, all of our, our, our longevity on this earth has to be so rooted in that fear of him and in study of him that we not only grow wiser, that we become Christ-like in our endeavors. There are conditional statements in this. I want you to hear this. So what does he say here? Look at this verse. 10, verses 10 through 12, Emily read this earlier. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. Do you hear the conditional statements there? These conditional statements indicate our responsibility to make right decisions. If you become wise, then you will be the one to benefit. What's the key to becoming wise? I just said this like for 10 or 15, 20 minutes. Oh, thank you. There are a couple of people. Who are Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where, your, that's where wisdom is rooted. So these conditional, if, if you become wise, then you will be the one to benefit. This stands to reason. If you don't become wise, you won't benefit. Right? It's pretty simple. Now, what's he go on to say? If you scorn wisdom, then you will be one to suffer. Those are what we call the difference between benefits and consequences. Do you have those in your home? Did you grow up with those in your home? If you do this, then you'll get a spanking, depending on what you think about spankings. If you do this, then you'll get grounded. But if you do this, wow, this will be great. You're going to be doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> if you do this, then you're going to actually have the sense of personal accomplishment. If you do what's wise, you're not going to have to worry about what trail you leave. You're not going to have to worry about covering up your tracks. If you were living wisely, there is nothing to be embarrassed of. There is nothing to do in the dark. If you were living in the true rooted wisdom of the fear of the Lord, you don't have to worry about your integrity or your godlike character. You don't have to worry about anybody calling you out for something because you're living in the direct alignment with God's purposes for your life. Listen to this, and I'll close. Colossians 2, 6 through 10. And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. What is he? The foundation then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking rather than from the spiritual powers of this world and the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Do you see what he's saying? There are a lot of good arguments you can get sucked into in this world. 
You'll see them on the nightly news or any of the cable news outlets you watch. There are many convincing arguments out there, but do they bear veracity in the truth? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body, and you also are complete through your union with Christ. You think anything else in this world is going to complete you apart from Christ, you're sorely mistaken. That is the mistake of the simple-minded, the fool, and the scoffer. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority in this world. As our worship team comes forward to close us out today, there is a path, Proverbs verse, or chapter 16, verse 25 says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. What's the, proverb, what's the writer of Proverbs saying? We can make a lot of good judgment calls or what we think are good judgment calls for our life, but actually all of them lead to death. Have you ever justified your behavior before that isn't in alignment with God's word? You can, we, we justify a lot of behaviors. And we may even have what we would call, by human thought, good reasoning for justifying those behaviors. But the writer of Proverbs says there's a path before each person that seems right, it doesn't say it is right. Do you, do you catch that? There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ultimately ends in death. Which path are you on? Which path are you on? Which path have you chosen? I promise you, like I told you at the very beginning, the path that leads to wisdom, the path that leads to understanding and truth and knowledge and love, the path that leads to Christ is narrow the gate is narrow, and few choose it. But the path that leads to destruction is super wide, and the gate's wide, and many follow that path to their own destruction. Where are you? What does that look like for you? I hope today that you've gotten to the point in your life where you're open to godly instruction that you're open to godly wisdom, and that you've surrendered your life to God through Christ Jesus in a way that says, I don't know it all. I haven't figured it all out, but I know the one who does, and I'm following him. Again, with all the degrees that I have, with all the experience I have, I am not stupid enough to believe I know everything. And you've heard me say this time and time again, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And I realize the fact that it humbles me the more I learn because it shows me the more I don't know and that I have to be dependent on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, who knows all things. Our altars are always open. Please come and pray if you feel the need to. Those of you online or watching from home today, you can pray wherever you are. But begin the journey of wisdom by starting to understand the fear of the Lord. That you are at this place in a relationship with God or beginning a relationship with God. That you say, I don't want to displease you. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. 
He's not lording over us, even though he could. He's saying, this is the way to me. You gotta believe, yes. Brandon, what about faith and belief? You cannot please God without faith, the writer of Hebrews tells us. But then Jesus also said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's like my wife saying, if you love me, you'll be faithful to me. You won't ever cheat on me. I can trust you and know that no matter where you are, even when I'm not there with you, that you have my best interest at heart. Do you have God's best interest at heart? Because he has your best interest at heart. That's why he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Choice is yours. Wisdom or folly. Heavenly Father, the way of folly seems right at times. It's very enticing, actually. The reason it's enticing, I know, is because we live in a fallen and broken world, and we live in this upside-down reality. The right-side-up reality is your kingdom, but it looks so countercultural. Remind us when we get sucked into arguments that there is only one solution. Remind us that whenever we see a myriad of different enemies, that there truly is only one enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And the battle we have in this life and in our culture and in this world is only won through the cross of Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, and Lord. Full surrendering to him of all our desires, our wants, that we're, we're only going to be fighting in vain if we fight any other battle. give us grace in this place. We repent of all of our wrongdoing, our simple-mindedness, our foolish decisions, our scoffing and mocking when we've been corrected by your word or by those who love you and are called by your name. God, forgive us. Humble us in a way that we turn our hearts to you this day and break forth in a revival and heal our land this day. Help the church to be the church, to be light and salt Even if we're condemned to the point of being killed, Lord, give us the strength to stand for what's right and to speak love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.